Welcome to Mystery Creations. We discuss strange places today. My name is AJ, your host, and today we have author and professional podcaster Brendan Storr with us. Without further ado, on to the show. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Uh, It's great to have you on the show. Can you give us an introduction of yourself and what you do? Absolutely, yeah. So uh, my name is Brandon Storr. I'm the host of the Ghost Story Guys podcast, as well as Largely the Truth with Brandon Storr, which is a a non-paranormal chat show. And I'm also the author of A Strange Little Place, which uh, is currently out of print. It just went out of print, I want to say, two weeks ago. But it will be back in print in the fall through Beyond the Fray Publishing. So there will be an expanded, excuse me, a revised and expanded version of A Strange Little Place. Again, hopefully out in the fall, but possibly spring 2023. And yeah, that's that's what I do. I mean, I also produce the, uh, I'm also part of the web show, or probably the live show, pardon me. I'm also part of the YouTube live show uh, Weird Together, which is sort of a paranormal, where we talk about paranormal entertainment. I produce the podcast Luke Lore, hosted by Luke Greensmith, and a few other things as well. So I'm, I'm a busy guy. Right on. If you're willing to, can you tell us a little bit about your own experience with writing the book and and the subjects in it? Uh, sure, yeah. So, I mean, I started writing Strange in 2012, so 10, 10 years ago now, which is kind of wild to think about. Actually would be 10 years ago this month, I think I took my first research trip. And yeah, it's kind of crazy how this how this all works out. But I, you know, to be honest, I wasn't a believer when I started writing the book. I just liked cool, creepy stories. And I used to tell, I had a couple weird things happen in my first apartment. And I would tell those stories at parties or to friends. Um, but over time, you know, I started, uh, I was out for a walk with a friend of mine. And I was telling her these stories and you know, I kind of got this thought. I thought, I wonder if I could, if I could make a book out of this, you know? And I had, I, I'd always kind of fancied myself a writer and I'd blogged a little bit, but I'd never really committed to and finished anything of any real length. So I thought, well, we'll give it a shot. And I, I went back to Revelstoke, which is my hometown, uh, because I decided that the book would be this, all these stories from when I was growing up and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, I started talking to people. I started talking to my family cause we used to hear a lot of stories from, or I used to hear a lot of stories from them. Yeah. And it, it kind of turned out that they didn't really remember many of them, <laughs> which was a pain. So I kind of was not sure it was going to work out, but then they started connecting me specifically. My mother connected me to some friends of hers who had had experiences and they connected me to other people and, and so on and so forth. And, you know, by the time the book was done, it came out, uh, in 2016, I had uncovered more stories than I think anyone knew existed in Revelstoke because there are some famous haunted houses in town. You know, I mean, famous locally, uh, places like Holton house or, um, actually I want to say Holton house is probably the only one that's really famous. It's this really lovely Queen Anne style house mm-hmm. at the top of a big hill. I believe it was built in 1897. Yeah. And so this was all new and it wasn't just, um, it wasn't just ghost stories or, or, they're 
or paranormal stories. I mean, there was also Bigfoot stories, um, a sea creature, like a lake monster story, a number of UFO stories. And the expanded, pardon me, the expanded edition of the book, which is coming out later in the year, uh, that will also include mention of the missing people in the region. There are quite a few uh, missing people, or pardon me, there have been quite a few missing people there over the years. So it all kind of started as like, well, let's see if I can actually do this thing. And it, it, it kind of grew from there. And along the way, I had my first ever, I shouldn't say first ever, as an adult, my first ever truly paranormal experience. And I could no longer ignore what I was researching. You know, I was kind of keeping it at arm's length for a long time. Yeah. Then I had a paranormal experience and I, I realized I didn't know as much about the world as I thought I did. It's funny how things happen like that. It is. Yeah, it really is. And you could be going along for for years, and then all of a sudden, it's like a slap in the face. You, yeah. you have to, you have to, you have to, to kind of take take stock when that sort of thing happens. Yeah. Well, I sort of realized after that, you know, and and, and other things kept happening. This had been a part of my life for a really long time. I just had not really understood it, and I'd spent a long time trying to ignore it, or. You know, I, I was raised Catholic. I was raised in the Catholic Church. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I was baptized, confirmed. But I, I didn't really like it. Uh, I, I was very difficult for me. I found it very unpleasant. My ground, my, my family's Italian, so it's just expected that you go to catechism, you go to, and, and I really didn't enjoy it. So when I got a little older, I became, you know, sort of an atheist. You know, that was my thing, right? Oh, I don't believe in anything, man. So the things I thought I had experienced couldn't possibly be real because not there's, you know, these things don't really happen. But I realized that this has already been, this had been part of my life all this time. And I think it was just waiting for me to kind of, uh, accept, accept it. Yeah, exactly. Accept it and just kind of turn into the wind and go, okay, yeah, you're right. Fine. And, you know, I, I remember years ago I, I was in new Orleans and I was in, um, Oh, I can't remember the name of the square there, Bermuda Jackson Square, but something like that. But anyways, at nighttime in the French Quarter, there's this part of the park where tarot readers will set up tables. And so you kind of, uh, I like to hang out there sometimes, just kind of see it, you know, all these tables set up with little lights on them. And I was kind of cruising around there and I ran into this artist who was did these really uh, very, very evocative splatter paintings of Jesus on the cross. You know, like when I say splatter, I mean like he kind of Jackson Pollock style flicking paint at the canvas. Okay. And I got talking to this guy and over the course of the conversation, which was very, very strange and I won't get into all of it, but it became very apparent that we both have an interest in these things, you know, this, this subtle world that you and I kind of deal with on the day to day now, but at the time I didn't really, but I, you know, I just tell him about some of my interests and some of the things I was learning. And, and the way he put it, it always kind of stuck with me. He said, those places you're talking about, they're called the principalities. And he said, the thing about the principalities is the further into them you push, the more they become aware of you. Mm-hmm. And they watch and they see you. And so I, I've sort of just taken that now as, okay, that's, I mean, the principalities so I just kind of have to deal with it. I don't necessarily know what any of it means, but I can no longer, I reached a point where I could no longer say, well, no, that's just not true because something's happening. Yeah. I think when you're first presented with this and you really take stock of it, you end up 
kind of uh, going all in? Did you just, when that happened, did you just feel, I got to get into this and find out what what this is, whether I'm I'm insane or <laughs> or is this really happening? I, I I had that kind of experience myself, where for a long time I thought, eh, this is a little bit nuts. Well, I have to explore it, and I found over time that once you start looking into it, more stuff starts happening. Did you find that uh, that once you, you started really taking stock of what you were seeing, did it amp up? Sort of. I mean, the most dramatic things I would ever see hap are the things that more or less happened right at the beginning. Um, the, there was one other thing that happened, and I do think that there's a combination of me taking more of an interest in the subject and really going crazy on it. You know, I think I read something like 50 or 60 books on the subject of the paranormal. And because I didn't know anything, right? I had to learn everything from the ground up. Yeah. And uh, basically what kind of happened in the end is, um, uh, as I said, I had the, my initial encounter, which was a shadow person thing. And, and, and I'd never seen or even heard of shadow people back then. Okay. But uh, then the last time I saw them was uh, the year after the first time. So 2013. And really ever since then, it's been more minor stuff, but it's been more present so you know when those things happened it was like boom but that was all that happened whereas in the years that followed i just became more accustomed to little things you know to being feeling more sensitive about stuff so you yeah. know i might be in a place where i think eh, you know what i don't feel like i should be here and you leave you know i was just a little more in tune with that but i would say it was only a handful of times that i ever really saw anything particularly dramatic and again never there's only one thing maybe i saw that was as dramatic as a straight up shadow people but that that came because the book the book sold fine it wasn't you know it, it, no one's making money off well i wasn't making money off it but uh, my publisher did you know not too bad um uh, but you know it's, it's, so it's all book sold fine and uh but the thing i really got from it was the ghost story guys you know that the book led me to the podcast and it led me to doing the podcast and so when I first started, the, well, pardon me, when we first started the show, when my former co-host Ian and I started the show, we started it in my office. And at the time I was working as the office manager for a uh, consulting company. Okay. And so it turns out that the, the office we started it in, the building we started it in, was deeply, deeply haunted, like deeply haunted. And so what I really started noticing is that, you know, when we would record, especially on nights when we would record, things would really ramp up. So you would, you would hear, you would hear noises. We caught some, a couple odd EVPs on the equipment. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say, yeah, we just had a, a lot of unusual stuff happen. And again, it, but it, but it was never as, pardon me, I, I'm drifting a bit, but it was never as dramatic as what happened the first time. So it was never like, again, a full on shadow entity showing itself. It was never, excuse me. I was actually a touched by a shadow person that that was part of my first experience and it was very very upsetting that never happened again so okay. but it was just a constant sort of parade like stream of uh yeah you know like little things seeing shadows um it, it just did i could tell you one of the stories if you're interested go ahead go ahead i love to hear stories <laughs> okay so 
So uh, when I worked originally for the, this forestry consultancy, I worked for them for about six and a half years. Mm-hmm. And so when I started, our office was on the second floor. Now, it, I should say it was on the left side of the second floor if you're looking at the building. And the very first time I saw a shadow person was there. I was I was telling the secretary at work about the uh, uh, research trip I'd taken. She was telling me some ghost stories. And again, beautiful, beautiful uh, April morning, I want to say. Sun's out. And we, it was a big office, you know, about 1,600 square feet. Yeah. So behind her is my boss's office. To the left of that, to the right of that was my uh, one of the programmers. And then the office next to that was mine. We were alone in the building. Or I should say, rather, we were alone in the office. And as we were talking... I saw this all black head peek out from the doorway or sorry, from behind a coat rack in uh, the programmer's office. Okay. And it held there just long enough for you to see it, for me to see it. And then I went back and I started panicking internally. I remember I felt the colors draining out of the day. I was scared and I just shoved all that way down and did that thing that a lot of people do where you say, no, I didn't, I didn't see that. I didn't see that. Um, so as I said, that was the first, that was my first, and again, I saw that the shadow figure again, but the office was the first place I saw it. And I used to like to hang out there at night because again, I had an office and, you know, I could watch movies. You know, sometimes my, my buddies would come over, we'd have a beer and, and say, watch a movie in my office. And so on this one occasion, that was the plan. Now to get into the office at night, it was easiest to park on the third floor of the adjacent parkade and go through the connecting door. Okay. So once you're through the connecting door, there's a, a short hallway and then a left goes into the grand staircase and you go down two flights of stairs and you're at our door. Mm-hmm. So on this particular night, we pulled up to the door, opened it, and the hallway light was off, which is not unusual necessarily. It, you know, it would get turned off, but it seemed much darker than it should be, if that makes sense. The dark, it was yeah. much darker than we had ever seen it. And, and that's, there was still a single light on. It's just most of the lights were off, okay. but it was, it was too dark. So my, my friend and I looked at each other and we thought, well, that's odd. But we walked in and just as we got to the end of the hallway, to the left turn, which leads into the grand staircase, I just felt goosebumps go up all over my body. And I peeked down over the banister to the landing where the office door was. Now I should say the grand staircase is, um, one wall is just a stained glass window across from which is a streetlight. So it's fairly well lit in the evening, even if the lights are off. Well, I could see, even though the, the, the grand lights are off, I could see through the stained glass window and the streetlight, almost all the staircase, except for the landing at the bottom of the stairs next to the office door, which had this incredible black mass. There was such a collection of shadows that it shouldn't have been possible. It shouldn't have been that dark. And the the more I looked at it, the more the hair went up on my arms. And I thought, okay, my friend and I both, you know, she, she felt it too. So we backed off and we stood outside the off. We started, we we went back out to the parkade and we just had the door open and we thought that's, we're being stupid. We're looking at each other. Come on. Like this is the, the dumbest thing in the world. So go back in and, uh, get to the top of the stair, get, can't even get as close to the top of the stairs before the hair comes up on the arms. And looked at each other again, thought, okay, we're definitely not going down there. Left the office again. And again, we're standing there, we're holding the door open, looking at each other thinking, well, I guess 
we're not doing that. Let's go for a beer. You know, we'll have to go for a beer like in a bar. Yeah. And all of a sudden we felt this hot wind blow past us. And I didn't think much of it when it blew past us because we thought, oh, you know, maybe the, the heater just turned on, the furnace just turned on, and this is just the forced air coming out. We didn't really pay attention until that same warm breeze sucked in back past us. It was okay. almost like the building was breathing. And we watched, and I kid you not, as that wind went past us back into the building, those shadows that I described, they receded like a tide on the beach, leaving the hallway the regular level of dark. I actually saw darkness flow backwards like a liquid almost. Okay. And I've, I've only ever seen that twice in my life, but that was that was the first time, and it was incredible. And we went back in, and sure enough, that uh, the light was reaching all the way to the bottom of the stairs. The mass was in front of the door was gone. That... That's very, very interesting. I've had instances where uh, dark masses will kind of come in and right. uh, and you will feel it right away. But a lot of times, whatever is there is of ill intent. Did you feel like something was was going to attack you if you went in well eventually we when i started the show by the time i'd started the show we had moved up to the office on the third floor so we'd mm -hmm. gone from the second to the third and it was much easier to be there it feels like whatever whatever was happening with that building is primarily happening on the second floor but we had a listener who eventually came to look at the place and she has some sensitivity and is kind of a medium and she she explained that the building is kind of like on a freeway. And so things pass through. And she said there is there. So there are, there are two regular things that, that live there. She said there are two entities who occupy that space at different times. She said one is quite positive and just kind of wants to keep an eye on you guys. The other is quite negative. And so I suspect that is what I felt that night because there would be times it, it got worse the longer I, I worked there and I don't know if that's because I became more sensitive to it uh, but definitely I would notice that after say 10 o'clock pardon me after say 10 o'clock um, it would become much it just it's hard to explain it just felt less welcoming it felt like you were in someone else's space and okay. there was one particular night we were getting ready to move out upstairs and my buddy was going to uh, going to come by after work again to shoot the breeze and go for a drive, and he worked pizza delivery till eleven p.m. So ordinarily I wouldn't let, stay there that long, because by this point um, it was getting pretty bad at night. You know, just again, it's hard to explain the feeling. It's just this feeling of menace, mm -hmm. but you never saw anything. So I hung around later than I would, and. Uh, and we finished work at 11, takes him about 20 minutes to park the car and, you know, file his receipts and all this stuff. So I'm hanging out in my office. And I should mention that eventually I had bought, um, uh, what's it called? Magnet, mag, maybe it's magnetite. It's a kind of rock with a high iron content. And I put that over the door to the front, the front door to the office. And I also put it above the door to my office. And so that night, as I was waiting for my friend, 
I could feel this tide, this, this sense of menace come on, but it would only ever come as far as my door. And I, th I truly think it was the iron, uh, content of that stone, which was keeping it away. And my, the friend who was coming was completely non-receptive to these things. So it's almost like, I don't know if you had this experience, but when you've got someone who has n almost no sensitivity, it's almost like you kind of lose connection with whatever it is. So it doesn't seem to affect you as much. Well, my, uh, my, so I was waiting for my friend. Cause again, he had zero reactivity to the paranormal, but 11 came and 11 went and 1130 came and 1130 went. And the whole time I can feel it getting worse outside. I can feel it getting worse just outside my office door. And finally I heard from him at midnight cause I was getting worried. And he said, I'm really sorry. He said that for no reason whatsoever, the car broke down the delivery car. Okay. And he said, I couldn't reach you. So he said, I'm not going to be there tonight. So, you know, we'll catch up another night. But now I had to get out of there while all this shit was massing outside my door. <laughs> and I remember sitting there and waiting basically just, and what I had noticed is it seems to come in waves. So it would go yeah. and then come and go and then come back. So when it went out, which was still not great, but better than, you know, when it was in, mm. I just booked it, man. <laughs> I booked it to the door, hit, turn on the security alarm and hit the road. And, uh, I was so happy when we got the new security system where I could just set it with my phone remotely. So yeah. I didn't have to, <laughs> didn't have to wait for everything to settle, but yeah. yeah, it was, it was rough. And that office, a lot of stuff happened there. Uh, you know, we had, um, the motion sensors would be set off. And they were set to the least sensitive setting, but they would be set off in, the, in different points. Um, there was the, one occasion where I discovered that the building did not like you talking about it on the phone. Okay. And so I was, I was having a chat with a friend of mine and we hadn't caught up in a while and I was at work, but the bosses weren't around so I could have a, some personal time. And the conversation was going fine. Everything was connecting as well as it should. But then I started telling my friend about the building and about the spooky stuff that happens in the building. Well, his connection starts fading and I can't hear him quite as well. He can't hear me. And then the connection kind of, kind of goes completely. And I hear what sounds like, I can hear him talking, but it's heavily distorted. It sounded kind of like this. It sounded kind of like, like, like weird slowed down tape speak. So I hung up the phone called him back and said, Hey man, what the hell were you just saying? And he said, I thought that was you speaking. Ooh. And yeah. And this is like an iPhone seven, you know, this is, or something. this is not, you know, my Nokia uh, 5,500. This is a reasonably new phone that this happened on. So I started telling him more about the building and the, the connection kept fading and dropping. But when I would talk about other things, it would stay stable as a rock. So I tried it. I went outside talking about normal stuff started, you know, working fine. Um, I went, I started talking about spooky stuff, working fine, kept talking about spooky stuff, went back in the building, same thing, connection died. So it was almost like the building just did not want you talking about it and would kind of mess with your electronics to make sure you didn't. And, uh, I think working there as much as I did, I think really sensitized me to the paranormal because I would have a lot of little stuff happen when I wasn't at work. Um, but once that office closed, uh, because the company sold essentially, uh, there's, there's, there's a long, very long story, but 
Well, I, I was laid off. I basically I got them to a place where they didn't need an admin assistant anymore, which was kind of my point all along because I, I didn't really like the work. Um, and then I, you know, I ended up moving my own business into the office and blah, 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 blah. But when we finally uh, gave up the office completely, I've noticed that my uh, experience with the paranormal doesn't happen as much. So I think constantly being in this place where these entities were, I think it just kind of made somehow sensitized me to it. Mm. And uh, every now and again, I'll walk past the building and it still feels very, very active. That's what I would call the tide. Oh, interesting. You've had experience with this. Um, it's, yeah, uh, when, when I was a kid, I lived in, in an area that was reputed to be a, a native burial ground. Interesting. And you'd get a tide of just weird energy. It, it, was, it would come and go. And everyone in the area had experiences. It was interesting. Really, um, I, I don't really like the idea of uh, native burial grounds as a trope. I'm right there with you. Yeah, absolutely. But whatever this was, it was right next to a rock quarry, so it could have been just the quartz in the area attracting all the attention, right? Uh, rather than uh, because I never researched the 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 hist- history of of the area, but I know that it was a big uh, Mi'kmaq area where okay. where people gathered. Because it's a lake, it's uh, right. but it's a chain of lakes. There's like twelve lakes, and they were always rich in, in fish. So it would have been a camping area where people come and they would have had people die and, and buried in the area. So I, I can understand that kind of a thought, but there there was up on the hill, uh, a guy went insane, murdered his entire family and shot himself in the basement. Oh my God. And then an, the new family came in, my, my neighbor's. And my parents had a kids club for all the kids in the area. So the kids were talking and telling stories. Apparently in their home where Buddy shot himself, the blood would never go away. Oh, they would wow. repaint and and use all kinds of solvents to get rid of stuff. And it would reappear on the wall. Interesting. And... One Halloween, we were joking around, and and uh, one of us had the great idea of using a spirit board. Oh. I would never use it, because my mother had one, and I always felt bad vibes from that. Right. Well, that particular board. As soon as they did that, it was like a wall of black blacker than blackness came through the building and just oh. went right through. Like it was, it was like an, a herd of elephants went through the building. The whole thing shook. People flipped out. The kids all ran. And I was there with two other people and it just went right through us and went on. It, it just, 
it wasn't like like it didn't stay in the building but we could hear voices of people and we said okay this is a nope situation and we nope <laughs> out of there <laughs> and i never ever played with the spirit board since then interesting yeah and, i mean i i never have but that that would that would that's one of the reasons stuff like yeah, that well i think since then, I was like twelve or thirteen when this happened, so it, I, right. I wasn't that that old. And then at sixteen, I I took up uh, magical practice and learning learning about magic and that sort of thing. Um, and it was at that point that I had my own experience uh, that I can remember, uh, where a ghost tried to strangle me in my sleep. Oh, I woke up. And there was this, like a shadow person over me, and I right. felt pressure of something on my throat. It was Shoot. directly on my throat, and all I heard in my head was die. Oh, my God. And I started struggling, and I told it to, to fuck off. Right. And it's when I said fuck off, and I meant it, its eyes flashed like a red color and it disappeared. Interesting. And it was basically me energetically saying, get the hell away from me. Yeah. I don't want you in my, my room. Um, but weirdly, I know that's a human spirit that was doing that. Not uh, like a demon or something really malevolent like uh, right. uh, an elemental or something like that. The idea because... of... Oh, sorry. Please continue. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. Um, the idea of demons and that really doesn't compute with me. I'm right there with you. Uh, I, I believe in demons, which can be good or bad depending right. on the situation. It's more a general idea of spirits that have not been human. Okay, yeah, sure. Um, it could be an animal spirit. It could be a, an actual demon, like a real malevolent kill you type thing, right. or something masquerading as that. Which in this case, it was a masquerading creature or masquerading person trying to look like that creature interesting it, it's funny you say that because we just the episode that's coming out tomorrow of ghost story guys episode 134 is about the hat man yeah and there are definitely seem to be hat man encounters where they're intentionally obscuring their identity you know, it, it's like they, they should have features, but there is one person I, I think described gray smoke. Someone else described uh, like a, a silver liquid that reflected light. And it, so it does seem like there's this element of, there's even one person who felt like they maybe knew the person, but it obviously had no features. And so, yeah, you're, it's interesting to say that because I'm starting to wonder if there is an element of obfuscation with shadow people. You know, if they're not necessarily entities we can't understand, they're maybe people just hiding who they really are. We'll be right back.
just noticed we talked for half an hour and didn't get to any questions. <laughs> <laughs> this is a danger with me, Alan. It's I should have warned you. I'm a talker. Uh, I love it. Um, Revelstoke. It has attributes of a, a window area. Do you, do you know what that is? I do. What's your thoughts on Revelstoke being a window area? Oh, it, it most certainly is. Yeah. I I didn't really understand it growing up. I didn't really notice, you know, because it's, it's like fish in water, right? You're in it. You don't think about it. Yeah. But when I started to write the book, I really started to see it. And now that the book is out, actually, I, I kind of have a difficult time going back to Revelstoke. Okay. Um, and I find it energetically very difficult for me to be there. Um, I, it can, I mean, and some of that's just, you know, going home to my family and, you know, I wasn't exactly the happiest kid in the world. So some of that's just, you know, bad memories. Yeah. But also it's like whatever is there, whatever entity is there, because I think there is a large governing entity there. Okay. In addition to regular just weirdness. I think it's more aware of me now. And I think that's harder to be around. You know, for for instance, I went back to visit my family once a couple of years ago. More than that now. Thanks, pandemic. But um, so it was maybe 2018 this happened. I was I was driving around and I, I just said, I literally was looking at the mountain. And I, I felt the mountain was looking back at me. And for the listeners who don't know, um, I assume most do, Revelstoke is a small town in Western Canada. It's it's on the main highway. It's on the Trans Canada, but it's fairly isolated. You know, it's forty five minutes to the west before you get to another town. It's an hour and a half to the east before you get to another town. The road north dead ends in a very small community and a dam, and it takes about three hours to get to the small community. The road south uh, dead ends in a lake which I mean, you can take a ferry across it, but the road itself just dead ends. And it's surrounded on all sides by about 7,500 feet of vertical mountain. Revelstoke is about 1,500 feet elevation. The mountains around it rise up to about 9,000 feet. We're a very popular ski destination. It's actually become a very much a ski town ever since I left. Okay. And, uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's a very visually striking place, but it's also... Like I said, very, very strange. And and I was looking at this, this mountain one one day as I was kind of driving from my the place where I was staying to visit my my, parent, my mom. And I just remember saying kind of out loud, hey, if you want to talk, I'm around. I'm interested in to hear what you got to say. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of just speaking to the mountain. Well, that night, um, I, I always used to stay at my aunt's house when I was in town. My aunt's got a big place. She's got lots of room. And it, it's right on the river, and I do think the Columbia River is one of the things that creates this set of set of conditions. You know, the Revelstoke sits at the confluence of two rivers, the uh, Illicilouet and the Columbia, and it also, uh, the Inacomplu River joins the Columbia later. So there are a number of rivers coming together, and of course, a lot of people think that, that sort of indicates a place of power. And, um, certainly, you know, a lot of this stuff is centered around the river and, and I mean, we can get into that at some point, but anyways, being right next to the river, my aunt's house always felt off. So I would sort of do a a white light visualization exercise to get to sleep. 
So I would just imagine my bed encased in a glowing white box that, you know, was impenetrable. And I would do that all the time, but the, didn't think anything of it. Never really mattered one way or the other. You know, I assumed it was just helping me sleep. But that night after I spoke to the mountain, I had this dream, and I didn't make the connection until days later. But in that dream, I was in the back of a white Jeep. And that was that Jeep was in the woods, and so it was like a it was like a metal box around me, and this huge black dinosaur thing was trying to smash its way into the box with its head, and it couldn't get in. It, it could crumple the doors, it could crumple the like the walls a little bit, yeah. but it couldn't get in. And I remember just seeing through the cracks this huge dinosaur like thing, but like a shadow person dinosaur. Okay, and I woke up because, you know, it's a hard thing to stay asleep through. And, uh, yeah, and, and I, I realized sort of maybe the day or, two, day or two later, that was, I think that was the answer to my question. I think that was the mountain coming to speak, but I was, it, but it was too much. Okay. Whatever, like the, the enormous power that it represented, I think it was just too much for my brain. I couldn't, I couldn't deal with it. And like I said, ever since being in Revelstoke has been tough. It's, I, I just feel really depleted and, okay. uh, because you're protecting yourself. You know, I think you might be right. I think that might be a big part of it without even realizing I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. I think that might be it. I know certainly I feel less safe being in certain parts of it now. And Revelstoke's a very safe place. You know, I mean, yeah, it's a town of 7,500 people and sure you have crime, but it's, uh, you know, I guess, yeah, most of the crime happens to people who live there. So as a tourist, which I am now, it's, it's fine, but I don't know. Some places I get, I, I get the impression that if I go there, I'm not coming back. Okay. You said that it's confluence of two rivers. Yes. That's a crossroads. Yeah. That, and oh, please continue. That, that, that's, uh, that is a power place. Right. Yeah. And when, when, when you talk to the mountain, you call to the spirit of the mountain. Right. And you said, I want to talk to you. So it came to talk to you. And you're asleep, vulnerable. You protected yourself. And that's probably why it got angry. You want to talk to me? Why are you not letting me talk? Right, right. Interesting. I never considered that. So when, when you if you if you go back in the next little bit, try to let down your walls a bit. Oh, it's, okay. go, it's going to be scary as hell to do that. Sure. Uh, but if you let down your walls a bit, just protect your core with that light. Okay. And I will... allow it, it to speak to you. It There may, may, or even treat it when you go there, leave an offering to the mountain. Interesting. You might get a, a different aspect of it because if you you say i want to talk to you and then all of a sudden it comes up to talk to you and you slam the door in its face how is it going to react sure i mean i i did explain the next day once i made the connection mm-hmm. i had you know, sort of another one of those conversations and i said look you know i apologize but i said at the same time i mean you, you came in pretty hard man you came in pretty hot <laughs> maybe give me give me 25 percent of that 30 percent of that tops <laughs> yeah yeah, well, most of the time when we encounter something really powerful, it scares the shit out of you. Sure. And that's just 
the way it is, you're not used to that. It kind of does, yeah. Uh, it, it certainly, yeah, that sounds not that far off. There are amazing UFO stories in the book. What is your favorite one? So my favorite UFO story, oh, that's a great question. Uh, I mean, the egotist in me wants to say my own, but <laughs> just because it was so dramatic uh, for me, you know. But, um, yeah, I would, you know, what the hell? I, I would say that one, you know, my, my own. Uh, because I I was out, it was probably grade six or seven, you know, it was just a young, just a young nerd. Me and my friend were up very, very late on New Year's, and it was snowing heavy outside, so we thought we'd be kind because we were all jacked up on uh, off-brand Coca-Cola. And so we stopped playing video games, and we went and shoveled. Yep. And uh, as we were out there shoveling, by this time it's probably about 3 in the morning, and cause it, it, it was very heavy, wet flakes, as I recall. And I was standing in my, mom, my, in my mother's front yard, and my friend was there as well, and all of a sudden, now I remember it coming from over, I want to say Mount Revelstoke in front of me. My friend remembers this coming from Mount Boulder, which would have been behind me. So it's interesting we both perceive it coming from completely different directions. But either way, as we stood there, completely silent around us, I saw what I can best describe as a green flash in the sky above the mountain. And then all of a sudden, the air around me, turned green it was not like a green light was shown on me but like like i was in green air like like the, just the air itself had turned green and i remember looking at my hand thinking what the hell is happening and then before i could really get my brain around it it, it went it only lasted a second or two as i recall but it was unmistakable and my friend he observed it as well and he said i don't know but um and after that we just went inside and I, I thought about that for years, thought about it for years. And, and Aaron and I fell out of touch, but when I started writing Strange, I got in touch with him and we went for, went for lunch and no, his memory of it was more or less the same as mine, apart from the direction that it came from. And of course, I mean, in the course of, pardon me, I should say over the course of writing the book, I discovered there was another UFO, a green UFO story in Revelstoke. This happens south of town in an area called the Arrow. Well, it, it's near what the Arrow Lakes, uh, but it's it's all part of the Columbia River system. But this man and his son were driving, and they saw what they first thought was a helicopter above them, uh, just over the trees. But then they realized the helicopter seemed to be wreathed in some kind of green smoke or green fog or green mist, and was produced if it was producing a downdraft, which a helicopter absolutely would have. It mm -hmm. wasn't disturbing the trees at all. Okay. And I, that is one of the stories that will be going into the new version of the book. I, that, I, I heard that afterwards. But it's, um, it's interesting stuff, uh, you know. And, and so, of course, you know, the color green has turned up in, in so many other places. Yeah. I, I interviewed a woman from Australia who witnessed what she thought was a comet strike in the Blue Mountains. She saw, like, a, a green comet coming towards her and her friends as they sat there on their blankets after a day of hiking. And she screamed. She said she closed her eyes. She screamed because she literally thought she was about to die. Okay. And she felt the impact and she felt this wave of energy ro roll through her. But when she opened her eyes, none of her friends had seen it. She was the only one. But again, green. Hmm. That, 
there's been a lot of talk in the UFO circles being our version of fairies. Sure. The modern day fairy. Right. And a lot of people think earthbound spirits when they think fairies. So the green could be like a, a an aspect of the earth. Yeah, could very well be. I I um yeah, I I don't talk much about the good folk. Yeah. Uh they prefer that I don't speak about them. I try to be respectful. We're, okay. we're on good terms now, but um but yeah, it, it could very well be. Re really, they don't like being talked about. Sure. And I was very incautious in my speech the first time we did a show on the subject, mm -hmm. and I believe that is why they, they yeah. get upset. Um we give offerings daily. Oh, okay. And that way, like, when when we do Phalans, which is an an offshoot of uh, of the, the podcast we're doing right now, right with uh, Brandon, we talk about them and kind of debunk myths and oh, interesting, and uh, bring up uh, different aspects and and whatnot, and whether or not we can go into their realm, they can come into ours, which we were talking about earlier. Yeah. I mean, I think we can, I think not always intentionally. I, um, I've actually got a story about that. If you'd like to hear it, go ahead. So when I was a kid, maybe, uh, four, my mom had my sister mm -hmm. and, um, or I think it was after my sister, but she had some, she had some, some surgery and she was in the rebel she was in the rebel stoke hospital and i my family had taken to see taken me to see her on a sunday so we were up there visiting and my family which was my grandpa and my grandma because we would always get together on sunday they wanted to go but i wanted to spend another couple minutes with my mom so because i was four and i was a pretty you know i've always been kind of a older than his years kind of guy i mean the rap, my, my my physical age is rapidly catching up with my mental age but once upon a time, I was old for my age. Yeah. And they told, so they told me, okay, you know, he can take care of himself. You know how to get to the elevator. We'll be waiting for you in the lobby. And I should point out the Revelstoke hospital has three floors. Only two of them are in use and only the elevator only goes to those two. So pretty hard to get lost. Yeah. So I hung up with my mom a couple more minutes, got into the elevator, pressed the down button. And what happened next? I still have no explanation for, but. I believe the, the explanation my grandfather would give me for decades. And what happened is the doors in front of me opened and the area it opened on looked like the lobby to the hospital. Like, but it didn't look right. It looked blue. Like the best way I can describe it is that it looked like it had been abandoned for a long time. It had this, this sort of heavy, almost like a Michael Mann movie, like, like Heat or something, you know, it just had this blue, gloomy cast to it. And there was, uh, like, desks and maybe typewriters covered over, maybe. And I remember being scared because I thought, well, this isn't what the lobby looks like. And I, I just could I didn't understand what was happening. And finally, the doors in front of me closed, and then the doors behind me opened, and I, my grandfather said something like, oh, there you are. And I remember him carrying me, I always, and it's a long time ago, and I understand, you know, memory can be fallible, but this, this is pretty solid. I remember asking him, because he was carrying me, 
Um, obviously not for very long, so it was four, but carried me for a little bit. And he was asking me, um, or I asked him, I, I told him what I'd seen, and he clearly had no answer. Um, so he told me, he said, oh, well, when they built the hospital, they built both halves, of course, but that we could only afford to use the front half. So what you saw was the back half. And I kid you not, my friend, I believed that until 2017. And then I was listening to the Micah Hank show and he was talking about people who sometimes go places that aren't actually there. And I, I thought, I wonder, so I got a hold of my mom. She's worked in the hospital for a number of years. And I said, if I'm going down to the lobby and the, the wrong set of doors open, they'll say the, the back opens instead of the front, would I see this? And I described what I described to you and my mother's very, you know, she's four foot 10 and full of Italian fury. You know, she, she's like, no, of course not. It's that's the, that's the hallway to the OR. Are you kidding me? And I said, was well, it, would it be dark? And she said, no, it's, a, it's the corridor to the operating room. It would be brightly lit. She said, it has never looked the way you're describing. And I thought that was unusual. So then I want to say the same year, maybe I was back in Revelstoke and there was a woman there who does readings, psychic readings. And I, I'm not normally given to that, that kind of thing, but my wife had gone to her and she was very impressed with it. So she got me a gift certificate to go. So I would experience it because there's no way I was going to go on my own. <laughs> so I went and after the reading, she showed me like she, she had pages and pages of written notes. And one of the things she said, uh, because I, I was, I could write down questions. She never saw them, but I could write down questions. So one of the things I'd written down was what happened that day in the hospital? And so when, when it came time for me and her to, like for her to tell me the reading, she said, your grandfather was here and he said, do you remember when you were a little boy and you used to drift between dimensions? Okay. And she had no, I hadn't told her the hospital story. I, I, I told a lie. She did see the question, but all I said, on, all the question was, was what happened that day in the hospital? That's it. She had never heard any of the other things I told you. And that was her, her, her response was, do you remember when you were a little boy and you used to drift between dimensions? That, that's very interesting. Um, I have throughout my life, I've had situations like that. Oh, really? Could you tell me about some of them? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, actually last night was one. Oh, um, I, because I have sleep apnea, I stop breathing at night. Okay. And sometimes it can be up to like three or four minutes that I'm not breathing. So oh, my mind goes into a DMT situation and I get kicked out of my body sometimes. Interesting. Last night, um, when this happens, it's the same sort of world but it's different somehow. Oh, so it's the same, sl- the same as the world of your bedroom, say for example. Yeah. But different, but different. And okay. it, it'll take, it'll take on different shades of color. Blue oh. is, is common right. for, for when you're in like a euphoric realm where things kind of seem, they seem like, like you're heavier, like you're moving slower. Oh, okay. 
So it could be that uh, you're in a realm where time is slowed. And so oh. everything kind of feels like you're moving through pea soup. Last night, I had a situation where that was happening. I was kind of moving slowly. But my wife was there. Um, I got upset for some reason. I'm not sure. I, my memory's kind of failing me now. Because after after a situation like that, it, it uh, when I come back, it's I feel weird. It took me about an hour to go back to sleep afterwards. But wow. uh, the situation was I got angry at her and then she got into the car and went, we don't have a car here, but she got oh. into a, a station wagon, which we had when we first moved here in 2012. Fascinating. But we got rid of it when we got here because it wasn't worth keeping. Right, uh, And it looked as though it had had work done to it. So what this could be is every time we have a thought, a new universe can be created. Yeah. yeah I literally just watched a film about this. It's kind of <laughs> blown my mind, the timing of all this. Yeah. So, it, yeah, st this stuff does exist. And what you could have done when you were a kid, something snapped and your point of view went to it. Like you could have even held your breath for a moment. Yeah. And that's enough to put you into another realm. I mean, when I was young, I had a near-death experience. And I don't remember how old I was, but I want to say I was. this was before my sister was born. So it was before I was four. I had uh, I passed out from heat stroke. And I woke up. I, the last thing I remember, I have a very faint memory of not feeling well and of seeing the floor rush up at me and I can kind of see like this red carpet and there's, it was, a, it was at an arcade with my parents. <clears throat> so I remember they're seeing like the corner of a, maybe the corner of like a big arcade cabinet. But next thing I knew I was waking up in an ice bath. Okay. And so I kind of wonder if that may have influenced my ability to, to have those experiences. That would, um, when I was born, I was born without breath. Oh. So they resuscitated me. My mother died at the same time and was resuscitated oh. as well. And her wow. and I throughout have had weird experiences. Okay. So anyone that's been close to death, you retain the ability to go to the other side. Right. Interesting. And so throughout your life these experiences that you've had may be a result of that one incident where you came so close to death that you now have the ability to see and experience these entities and and the ability to move in between yeah oh wow that's no that's that's i mean i, I think you might be onto something there Something else you said really kind of twigged with me, um, and I'll, I'll just tell you quick, but you just talked about how in the, that in that version of you, mm -hmm. you guys still had the car, and you, you kept the car, and you cleaned it up, and you, yeah. you know, done the work to it. Well, one of the most powerful dreams I ever had, I've ever had thus far, I should say, uh, involved me being in Revelstoke. I'd say, like, I, I've been here in Victoria for 
17 years uh, this year. But, sorry, 15 years this year, 15 years. But um, in this dream, I was in Revelstoke, and I was back visiting family. Now, in the dream, I was gassing up at a gas station that's overlooking a part of town known as Lower Town. Now, in real life, that, like, in now, in the, at, say, when I had the dream, say, 2015 ballpark, or, say, 2017, that hadn't been a gas station for 30 or 40 years. But in the dream, it's a gas station, and I'm filling up there. And my family, we ran a small store in Revelstoke for six years. We ran a deli. Mm-hmm. And now in the dream, as I'm gassing up my car, and I'm there with a friend, I don't know who, these two little kids come running out from behind the uh, the station. Now, this is on top, like I said, this is on top of a hill. So in real life, behind the gas station, there's a bunch of like a, a high bushes and then just a drop down to the park below. There's a little kid's park down there. It's quite a, quite a drop, quite a ways down. And these kids came running out from behind the building. And I remember in the dream, I recognized them. They, in the dream, they were regular customers at my family store, which we had since sold and I'd moved on. And so as I'm gassing up, you know, I say, Oh, Hey, it's so nice to see you guys. Uh, how, how have you been? You know, how are your parents? And they said, well, tell you what, come see our parents. You know, they're at home. They would love to see you. So again, dream logic. Uh, I say, yeah, get in the car. You know, I'm just about done gassing up and I'll, we'll drive there. And the kids say, uh, no, 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 no. We have to walk. And I said, okay. And the little boy says, I made a path. And I said, you made a path? And he goes, and he smiles and he says, yeah, I made a path. So I'm kind of humoring him like, cause he's a pretty small kid. I'm like, oh, sure, sure. So you gas up the car and I let the kids leave me and they lead me behind the gas station and set into the hillside are these wooden steps, the planks with, with stamped tin plates set into the middle of them. And I don't remember what the stamp, what the stamping was on the tin. I just remember there were stamped tin plates and the, the railing going down was a, a heavy chain strung between wooden posts. Okay. And I remember it was so steep. I had to focus on my feet. I couldn't even look where I was. I had to focus on my feet. And at one point in the descent, I remember hearing what sounded like a waterfall or a river, like a rushing over, like all around me. And then we stepped, well, I was at the bottom and I stepped through a hedge and I was on a dirt road, me and the person and these kids. And the road went off to the left and to the right. The kids ran off to the right where the road went up a little bit. It's kind of just high enough you couldn't see. But along the way, the kids had also run over a short bridge. And this bridge was made up of sticks about two inches thick, like slats almost. It wasn't a very long bridge. It was maybe two feet long. And so I crossed the bridge over the water and at the top of the hill, I saw this guy walking from right to left. And I remember thinking, he looks familiar somehow. Why? I feel like I know that guy. Didn't think anything else of it. Got to the top of the hill and the kids had run off down to the right, down and out of sight, uh, down another hill. But to my left, I could see Revelstoke. And I remember thinking, Jesus, how the, f- how did I get so far out here? Like, we didn't walk that far, but I could see the whole town. And I thought, well, that's odd, but whatever. So I, I, I go down the hill that the kids went down because they're saying, you know, follow us, follow us. And there's this long mountain valley, this long mountain valley that does not exist in real life. And I, it was, the sun was starting to set and darkness was kind of slowly gathering at the end of the valley. And I remember passing these rows of cottages along this dirt road and inside what I, the ones I could see that were lit up, 
they were this weird mashup of furniture. There was like an Airstream fridge with a 1800s, you know, wood stove. You know, there was no, it was all weird jumbles of stuff. And in one of the, one of the cottages, one of the houses, I thought I saw the outline of kind of a heavy set woman cooking, but she was kind of, it was like glimmering. It was hard to see her. It, it wasn't, it, again, it was like, like almost like a gossamery silver outline. Yeah. So you couldn't always see her. But anyways, kids kept saying, come on, come on, come on. So we followed them to the house at the end of the row. And beyond the house is this wide valley and it's getting dark. And then I believe there's a river that runs behind these houses going off into the distance. And so the kids, their parents are there and we catch up, we shoot the breeze, but they're weirdly reticent to, to, to talk about themselves. They're weirdly like, they don't want to, you know, they'll, they want to know what I've been up to, but eh, they kind of demur whenever I ask them about them. Finally, they say, would you like to come in for dinner? Because we're just about to eat. And I, my friend and I say, yeah, sure, absolutely. So they lead us into their house. And all I remember is the dining room. It was long, rectangular, with wooden paneling at one end or one side. And the other side was a massive series of windows, or pardon me, a series of massive windows, which looked out into the valley. By this point, the sun is set and it started to get dark in the even darker in the valley. So we sit down to a meal, and I, I remember very distinctly the one food I remember seeing there were these gorgeous chocolate chunk cookies. And I love chocolate chunk cookies. So there's just this massive, massive, like beautiful-looking, incredible-looking cookies. I wanted them more than anything. And the couple and the family, they sit down to eat. And they say, oh, you know, help yourself. But something tells me, don't eat the food. Don't eat the food. And so I said to my friend who, I was, who had sat down next to me, we're not eating. And the family knew. They knew, but they didn't comment. They just kept eating. So after the, um, after dinner, they, they asked me to help them move the tables away. And I did, cause they said they had guests coming. And by this point now, the moon had risen and was lighting the, was shining into the, um, the dining room and the guests started coming in and they started dancing. And among the guests was a heavy set woman who looked very much like that gossamery outline I saw in the cabin. And as the music played, these people were dancing. And as they moved through the moonlight, every single one of them, I could see through them. And it hit me. I remembered why the parents would not talk about what they'd been up to. They died in a car wreck. And all these people were dead. This was the land of the dead. And this was their food, and that's why I didn't eat their food. And as I had this, this realization, the dancers sped up. They danced faster and faster and faster, and then I woke up. And now that's intense, and, and I, I'm getting chills talking about it now, but I was contacted by a friend of mine. And a friend of mine said, oh, man, you know, I have these weird dreams sometimes about this, this like, fantasy valley outside of Revelstoke that doesn't actually exist. And he told me where he, where he thought it was. He said, oh, it's on Mount Begbie in the dream. It's on Mount Begbie, which is across the river. And I realized that the viewpoint I had on Revelstoke in that dream, where I recognized all four of the roads going in and out of town and I wasn't on any of them, put me in exactly the same place as his dream valley. Wow. Yeah. So both of you had the same. We're both experience. going to the same place. Yeah. Yeah. And we also, I, I later, and this is a whole other subject. You know, I, I did a spot on uh, Paul Vestal's Mysteries Monsters talking about the second geography of Revelstoke, but 
I've dreamed about a road uh, south of town that, or north of town rather, that doesn't exist anymore. I discovered recently that I'm actually dreaming about the old highway, but I never drove the old highway. It was decommissioned long before I was born. That sparks memories for me too. Um, a lot of people have spoken about uh, experiencing things that are outside of their time. Interesting. And it, it, it like uh, myself coming home from work one day, I found myself walking along a dirt road. Okay. And in, in, you know, where, uh, uh, Tattersall drive is. I do. <clears throat> um, that used to be a dirt road for a long time. Oh, back in the seventies. I had no idea. And this building that I, that I live in is right in the center of that street. Oh, wow. So, um, it existed then as well. This this building's been here for, uh, at least 60, 70 years. Right. And so I came in, the layout of my apartment was different. And my wife was here. She had a twin sister. She doesn't have a twin sister here. Oh, interesting. And her twin sister, I remember getting angry because uh, uh, I first thing I thought thought I saw was my wife kissing another guy. And it was her her sister kissing her boyfriend. And then oh. I noticed her behind <laughs> cooking. Ah, <laughs> so, that's so specific for, for a, a, a dream, I guess. It, it wasn't actually a dream. I this oh. physically happened to me. Oh, I I came home from work, picked up a package that was uh, here for us, came up the stairs, and everything was weirdly different. And then when she turned and said, uh, "If I was asked if I was ready for supper," I I said yeah, and then I shut my eyes, opened them, and I was in the apartment by myself. Holy shit. It was like a, a weird time time shift. Yeah. Well, almost like you were you were in that other person's body, that other version of you. Yeah. And then you snapped back. Again, that's I just watched everything everywhere all at once. That happens yeah. in the film. Yeah. So that's incredible. So when we look at time, we kinda need to look at it like a ball of yarn. Right. With many crossroads where we can kind of step in between past, future, whatnot. So that your is... dream could be something along that line. So it could be there is our afterlife that moves along with us and you stepped into that in your maybe, in your dream. Yeah. That's yeah. Or maybe. you were aware of it at some in some way. Well, the idea, you know, when you mentioned in this other place, your wife had the twin sister. Uh, one of the things that is, has come up in, in my dream is that, um, or that I, pardon me, that I realized about that, that uh, dead people dream was that in this, in my life, like in the real world, I had, I did have customers who were in a car, who had two kids, mm -hmm. who were in a car crash, but they survived. Okay. And I'm wondering, but it, it in the dream, it felt like exactly the same people, but they hadn't survived. 
And so I wondered, maybe maybe I was party to some place where there's a different version of them that didn't make it. That could be. Interesting. That could be. It's very interesting. The world is weirder and more wonderful and scary than we would expect. Amen to that. No argument <laughs> here. Um, can you tell everyone about Gremlins in Revelstoke? Sure. So yeah, uh, basically the gremlins, the, all those stories in the way the book is formatted, it seems like they're attributed to different people, mm -hmm. but mostly I got those stories from one person, um, who had been told them by different people. But essentially what seems to be happening is, uh, little tiny shadow people will turn up and whenever it seems they, it seems to start at the front door, generally speaking, if they're arriving at your house and they, bring with them electrical malfunctions and mechanical me mechanical malfunctions and all, all kinds of like uh, lights flickering, all weird stuff happening. Uh, sometimes the car won't work, you know, and this happened to, there's a couple women in the same family it happened to. And both times, you know, they were told by someone who knows they were said, you, you got gremlins. And they said, what you do is you get a saucer of milk, you put it outside your door and it'll stop. And now the first person who told me, the, the woman who first did this, she thought, oh, sure, I'm going to be feeding all the neighborhood cats. It's going to be real popular. So she put the saucer out, not expecting it to work because they had brought gremlins back from her husband's late mother. She had passed on and she always joked about having gremlins. They thought it was just a figure of speech. But on the way home uh, from her funeral, their uh, car started breaking down. And then they started having tons of electric, electronical problems, or pardon me, electrical problems. So she thought, screw it, I'll put it out. She did. And now where this woman lives is in a part of town where there are bears, you know, sometimes you get uh, tons of neighborhood cats. That milk stayed completely untouched for days. Nothing touched it. And then the uh, electrical troubles went away. And when her daughter had the same problem, she told her, you got gremlins, just put out some water, put out some milk, they'll go away. And so she put it out, but she put it out, uh, she hid it, which I think behind a potted plant or something. And still nothing touched it and the electrical problems stopped. That's and awesome. From, yeah. And from what I was told by a woman who works at one of the senior citizens complexes there, if she's working, she's very sensitive, very sensitive. If she's working, she puts out an offering, no problems whatsoever. If she's not working, none of the other girls do it. There are electrical malfunctions. They've had uh, pipe breaks. Never happens on her shifts. Okay. That's a uh, little people thing. When, yeah. When you're trying to attract a little person, right. put out milk with honey. Okay. Uh, grains. Any type of small offering like that. Right. Um, and it'll attract their attention. Oh, okay. And if oh. you have one that's misbehaving, you put that out to appease them. They'll stay in the area and they'll actually flip their script and start helping you. Oh, interesting. And so like pipe breaks and stuff like that would, wouldn't happen when she's there because she's paying attention to them and saying, Hey, I respect you. Here you go. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. I'm really kind of curious to see if we have, you know, you discussed that sometimes you have 
anomalies turn up in your recordings. I'm kind of curious to know if we have one because uh, it's not a, it, it has happened in past for me, and yeah. certainly given the conversation topics, I think yeah, increases I think, that likelihood. I think we're probably going to have a few that <laughs> um, that that might be very interesting to to go back and like um, speaking of going from this realm to the Fey realm and back. Um, right. In in that one episode where we were talking about uh, uh, doing that, um, we had a, a little voice say, "Yeah, yeah, this this happens." Really. And, and it, and we were talking about another part uh, where they could take you to that realm, and it disagreed with us. It said, "No, we can't take you." To our realm it said no it was emphatic no you can't do that and it's basically it can take us there if we agree to it right hence the accepting of food or things like that yeah and if you accept food in that realm you are doomed to stay there i've, you I've can't heard that come back and so, and like in PEI, uh, a guy was taken for two months and then appeared back home, was unable to speak for for a number of months afterwards. I think it was two months after, didn't wow. remember anything. And then when he got his memories back, he would not talk about his time when he was away. Really? He would not ever talk about it. Till the day, like he, even to the day he died, he did not speak about it. Wow, that's. I'll be honest. That's one of the few things I have like this in, like, instilled fear of is being taken or being going somewhere and not being able to come back. I, I've never actually told anyone this, mm. but I have location services turned on on my phone, and one person in the world has access to it. Because I don't, I don't like surveillance state stuff. I'm not a fan. Yeah. But I have look, I have location tracking turned on my phone, and one person knows that. One person has the password, and they so they just in case something happens, they at least know the last place I was. Yeah. And I, I've always said, you know, if I if I go, it's not by choice, not intentionally. So come looking. Come. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Bigfoot, fairy, cryptid, or other? Ooh, I, you know what? Depending, well, <laughs> I like to say he's an alien because it drives my co-host Paul crazy. Um, <laughs> Paul, in case you're listening to this, you know it's true. But uh, <laughs> in actuality, I don't know enough to say. I I tend to think there is more of a um, metaphysical quality to him than just being a wood ape, but I don't have enough background to say that with any authority. That's yeah. When when you look at all of the stuff, it's kind of hard because it goes, it runs the gambit. That's it. That's it. And so, yeah. saying I don't know is probably the best thing that we can do for ourselves. Nothing wrong with not knowing. Yeah, it, it gives you a reason to keep striving for for the next step in the process. That's it. Except you and me, Paul, we know it's aliens. <laughs> I hope he listens to this. 
I hope he does too. <laughs> um, do you believe in the spirit of place? And do you think uh, Revelstoke it is such a place? So when has... you say sp- spirit of place, mm-hmm. what do you mean? Spirit of place is it has its own uh, archetype, its own energy. It's like its own entity. Oh yeah, very much so. Absolutely. <clears throat> I the best example of that I can give, and I, I know I've I've kept you on here much longer than you anticipated. That's you cool. F- <laughs> you poor fool. But um, I don't go south of town past a certain time of night anymore. But when I did. I would go, because Revelstoke is a very small town. As I mentioned, 7,500 people. I'll be back visiting my family. And most of my friends work nine to five jobs. The, the sole exception was my friend Sammy, who she was a paramedic, so she kind of worked weird hours. So she would come for drives with me. And she's not really sensitive to any of this stuff. But one night, we're out for a drive. And again, ordinarily going south of town, the paved road used to end at a place called Greenslide, which is Greenslide Road. Now... Once upon a time, before the Columbia River Valley was dammed up, there were a number of communities, if you kept driving. There was uh, Beaton, Burton, Arrowhead, Kamaplex, all these little towns that were flooded when the river was dammed. So when that happened, the road also was flooded out. They built a new road on the other side of the river. But if you keep going past Greenslide, um, eventually the road goes right into the river valley. And you can go down as far as, uh, I think it's called 12 Mile, maybe a little bit further, but there used to be a ferry crossing there. And so Mm. when you're driving that road, you can still see sometimes if the river's low enough, you can see uh, the the foundations of submerged homes or, or, sorry, of long gone homes, and you can see the ferry landing as well. Mm. But again, at nighttime, that area is dark, dark, dark. So everyone I knew gets to Greenslide, turns around, even if you got a truck. You get to green slide, you turn around. Mm-hmm. Well, one night, Sammy and I were out driving, and I got to green slide, and it was so incredibly bright. I've never seen it so bright. It was beautiful. The stars were up. It was just gorgeous. So we kept going. And now I, I used to have, my car was an 09 Corolla. So this, this is not an all-terrain vehicle. But still, we kept going, mining the potholes, because this was dirt road. Eventually, we got to the valley. And I've never seen the valley at night before because it's always so freaking dark. You just get the sense that you're not welcome. Yeah. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And then something shifted. And I kid you not, man, I saw darkness flooding back up the valley. Like it was filling the valley like a basin. Okay. And I said to my friend, I said, well, we should go. And she noticed that something was up. She said, what's wrong? I said, ah, don't worry about it. But as the darkness overtook the car, which it did, it traveled much faster than us, she actually said, how does she say, something feels creepy or I feel creeped out, which again for her is so unusual. Yeah. But yeah, and I, so I think that was whatever lives there, whatever is the the most powerful spirit there, I think it was away. And I think that it became aware of us and I think it came back. So I think that is a big part of whatever is Revelstoke's place. And, and to be honest, I actually have attempted to reach out to that spirit via meditation from Victoria. And I have had responses. 
So there does seem to be, I mean, it could just be me talking to myself, but it does seem like there's something there. And it said it's, uh, it's very old is how it described itself. I, I said, am I any kind of threat to you? And it actually seemed to think it was very funny. And it said, no. Are there any other areas that you know of in BC, like Revelstoke? I mean, no, but that's because I spent you know years talking to people in Revelstoke and grew up there. I mean, I know there are definitely places of power and, and strangeness. You know, there's um, Kamloops, BC uh, has some pretty intense mojo, especially the um, certain nights feel very, very dark and very ragged there. And there are, there's a place just... Mm, I want to say east of town, which is particularly dark at night. Um, there have been, a, oh, what's it called? Turtle Valley is yep. also outside of Kamloops, and that has major mojo. Um, the Fraser the Fraser Valley, the Fraser Canyon, mm-hmm. uh, which is the old highway, uh, that that also has some pretty heavy mojo. I don't know anything about it, but it just you feel it when you're there. It's, it's a river, something about that river. It's a very, very powerful river. And, I mean, obviously Victoria. You know, Victoria's got a lot of stuff going on. I mean, I don't subscribe to most of the traditional stories here, but, you know, I've talked enough to people to know that, you know, for example, there's at least one hotel where the maids don't have to clean certain rooms by themselves. Okay. So, I mean, nowhere it's intensely in Revelstoke, but then I also haven't studied other places as intensely as I studied Revelstoke. Well, home home is a place where, where you kind of learn the ins and outs regardless. That's it. And and when you have the opportunity to go back for something like writing a book about the area, you learn a whole lot more about it than than you would probably expect. Absolutely. Yeah, that was very very much my experience. And I imagine now with the expanded edition of Strange, you know, I'm I'm going to be doing a little bit more research and so I imagine I'll probably learn even more. Yeah. Yeah. Let us know when you do. Shall do. <laughs> Um, well, is there anything that you would like to promote before we get off to here? Uh, come check out ghost story guys. That's how I make my living now. I'm very lucky to be a professional full-time podcaster and, um, yeah, ghoststoryguys.com or everywhere fine podcasts live. I co-host that with Paul Bestel, who also hosts mysteries and monsters, which I, I recommend very much. Awesome. Um, my other show is largely the truth with Brennan store, and that's a non-paranormal talk show where I just interview people who seem cool. So uh, my most recent episode when this comes out will be with the Adams family, directors of the film Hellbender, which just arrived on Shudder. Oh, and excellent. yeah, super cool people. Very, very kind. And I, like I said, I also produced the podcast Luke Lore for Luke Greensmith. That's a short form folklore podcast. It's about mm-hmm. 10, 15, 15, 20 minutes. And I also am part of Weird Together, the YouTube live stream with Joseph Camo. And Joseph is the host of a new show called In Search of Ghosts which is also kind of part of the Ghost Story Guys family. So you can find links to all that at ghoststoryguys.com. It's a lot to remember, but yeah. <laughs> ghoststoryguys.com. Yeah. Okay. Right on. Well, thank you very much for coming on with me. Hey, thank you for having me, man. It's been a pleasure. You've given it's... me a lot to think about. Same same here. Uh, you've reaffirmed some of the things I've been thinking of. And... Brendan is an interesting guy.
and one of the only guests we've met in person. We have become friends, and we definitely recommend his shows. Again, thank you, Brennan, for coming on with us. You're a gentleman and a super great guy to talk to. We hope you like this podcast and invite you to join us again. Please like, follow, and subscribe on whatever platforms you follow us on. Take care, and we'll see you soon.